Would you look with me in one of the most famous father passages in Scripture as we look at Luke 15? Jesus continued, verse 11, as he's talking, and he's just told two parables, one about a a lost sheep and one about a lost coin. And then he jumps into this story. There was a man who had two sons. And I want to stop here, and I I appreciate Tim Keller, the famous pastor from New York City, who wrote a book recently on this this parable, of which we've normally called the title of it, and maybe even in your Bibles, Bibles it, it, it titles it The Prodigal Son. But he has actually retitled this passage of Scripture, The Prodigal Father, because this story has a lot more to do with what our Father is like in heaven than it does with just one son, because obviously there's also two sons in this story, We'll learn about both of those um, at the end, at, 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 after we get through with this message. But this story is most importantly about our Father in heaven, the Father who is the Father of prodigals. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. There's a lot that goes in between those two, those, two, those two sentences, doesn't it? Father, give me my estate. And the father saying, you can have his estate. We'll come back to that. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in, the, be in need So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Well, your brother's come. He replied, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this this son of yours who has squandered your property and prostitutes come home with prostitutes and comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. One of my favorite passages of scripture. You know in this room this morning as we are looking to who the father is. I am fully aware of my own story. I'm fully aware of my wife's story. I'm aware of some of your stories, but I'm not completely aware of all of our stories. And as we sit in this room, I know that there is a journey with fathers that is as as wide as can be. That there are some in this room that when I say the word father, automatically you have incredible thoughts of thankfulness. You, you're, you have flashbacks to specific moments with your dad here on earth. And it's an, and it's an incredible um, recalling of the goodness of your earthly dad. Some of you have the exact opposite experiences. You don't want to think about him. You're, you are um, you're feeling maybe the challenge or the opportunity to even rise in anger or bitterness, maybe unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe it's sorrow, maybe it's fear. For some of you, I know you've lost your fathers. He's no longer alive. And you can put on that experience either good memories or bad. We have so many stories in this room. And yet at the same time, we have one father in heaven. One consistently true and good and awesome and wonderful Father in heaven. Whether you acknowledge or believe that, it is true. Whether or not you've experienced through your lens as being what I just described. We can say through the Word of God and through our knowledge of who God is and through our understanding of history and of the present and what we expect from the future that the Father in heaven the Holy One, the Creator of all the universe, the One who says He was from the beginning and He will be till the end, the Alpha and the Omega, everything that exists, the fullness of of life thereof, all that is good, that Father in Heaven is a Father that each one of us in this room, no matter what experience we possess, we can encounter and engage with just the same. And that should be a place of starting for all of us, a starting of hope, a starting of encouragement. When we read this passage of Scripture, as Jesus tells this parable, as He shares this story, He is talking, He is describing through this story a picture of who our Father in Heaven is and what He's like. In the heart of the Father in Heaven is one who abundantly provides Before this story starts, and as we see written within the storyline of this parable, we come to an assumption or an understanding right off the bat that this father is good. Right? That this father has provided and been a good father. And when we think about it, what has this father, what do we see in this story that we already know that this father has brought two sons into this world? That he has provided a family and community for his sons. That he has provided for his sons. And not only has he provided, but he has abundantly provided. This is a wealthy father. 
This is a father with servants. This is a father with fattened calves. This is a father with rings and and clothing. This is a father that has provided abundantly for his sons. This is a father that has provided security. That has provided jobs. That has provided a future that has laid aside an inheritance for his sons. This is a good father. And that is the Father that we have in heaven. James 1 verse 17 says this, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift, everything that you would declare that is good and holy and righteous and wonderful in this life has come down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Who is this Father? One who does not change or shift like shadows. He is consistent, the same, true all the time. So the same thing that I just declared about the Father in this story is true of our Father in heaven. Amen? Let's say it again. He has given what? He has given you life. You're alive. You have a name. You have an identity. You have been brought into this world with opportunity. And, and yes, if we stop and we compare and we look to the left or the right, we might say, yeah, but I don't have this, an opportunity like that person. Or that person hasn't experienced life like I've, like I've experienced. But you still have life. And even in the hardest circumstances in this room, you have a heavenly Father who is saying, I love you. And I have a place prepared for you. And I'm with you. And for eternity we will dwell together. And I'm good. And I want you to know the goodness of who I am. You have been given opportunity by being born to know the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to be his friend and son or daughter for how long? Forever. Isn't that awesome? You have a good father who's given you life. You have a good father who's given you family and community. Well, I haven't had a great family, you'd say. I haven't been in a great, well, you're in a great community right now. I don't know what your earthly families look like, and I pray that you have good ones, and I prayed over these three couples that brought their kids down that they would be a wholesome, loving, and, and, and encouraging environment of a family. But if you don't have that, you have some place to go, and it can start here where God is, can provide for you, and as He has done for many in this room at different moments of your discouraging, hopeless, and hard journey, people that come around you and express and share the love and the goodness of the Father to you. Looking at eyes right now, nodding their heads, saying, It has been good to be known by this family. That is from your Father in heaven. He's provided for you. Has He not? Oh, no, no, no. I've provided for myself. Oh, have you really? You're the one that put that brain in your head, gave you, gave you the ability to work like you work. It keeps your heart pumping, that opened the doors of opportunity for you. You're the one that created that self made man, self made woman. No, you're not. At a moment's notice, and you could talk to somebody, some people in this room that want, at one point in their life, they had it all, and then all of a sudden, everything was gone. It comes and it goes. Not dependent on how great or awesome we are, but to demonstrate or to reveal to us how dependent we are on He who is awesome and great. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, Jesus said, yet forfeits his soul? There are times when we experience 
calamity or misfortune, not because God does not like us, but because God loves us. Because he's a good father who disciplines his sons and daughters, who reveals to us our need for him. And if we think that at the beginning of this journey, through the middle of our journey, to the end of our journey, that it's all about me, that I'm the captain of my ship, that I've brought all of this goodness upon me, that when we get to that place of reckoning, oh, what a sad day it will be that we have not been thankful to our Creator, that we have not been humbly dependent upon the one who not only created us, but provided for us the opportunities of life. We have not provided for ourselves, although we work along with God, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, this is not my Labor Day message. I believe in hard work and diligence and saving. And I'm not, this is, what I'm saying is that even in all of that, it is God who initiates all of that. He is the one that has been our provider. And he continues to be so that whether we have little or we have a lot, we are good and thankful. And he provides us our future. Isn't that awesome? No matter where we are, we have hope. Because someday, someday, we will be with God forever in heaven. I'm not running from this world because there's a lot of good in this world. Jesus said that I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So I'm not saying that as a, well, I can't wait to get from here. But as I'm journeying through this abundant, wonderful relationship with Jesus that has its ups and its downs, its trials and its victories, I know that no matter what befalls me, that this is not my stopping point. This is not my ending point, nor is it for you. That God has prepared for you a place in heaven if you put your trust in Him. He has created a room, a mansion, whatever it's going to look like. I think it's going to be a lake house in mountains for me. You can come. I'll, I'll invite you for a few thousand years, and you can head back to your house, Michael. You know, I'll come visit you. All are welcome. But He has provided a glistening hope for you and me, no matter where we are today. Right here, in relationship with Him, but in those places of darkness where we can't feel or experience or know up from down, even then. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is with us. And He leads us to a table where He blesses us, even in the presence of our enemies. And He anoints our cup. He fills our cups with, He fills up our cups and anoints our heads with oil. Overflowing. Awesome. Hope in God. This is our Father in heaven. The same Father in this story is the same Father for you and me. Yet it's much better. It's not just a calf. It's not just a robe. It's not just an inheritance that can be squandered. It's an inheritance that is secure. And expanding. And beyond our wildest imaginations. This is our relationship with God. He gives us freedom to choose though, doesn't he? He gives us freedom to choose, and we see that in this story, verse 12. And there, it talks about the two sons in verse 11, and he says, Dad, give me, give me what I want. In my ignorance, in my foolishness, in my pride, in my desire, my lust for the things of this world, I've been living in this lame farm. I want to go to the city. I want to go where the lights are. 
I want to go where everybody knows my name. I want to go and be there. I want to be out there. I want to do something that doesn't feel like it feels like right here. I want to explore life. I want to learn on my own. How many of us have been there? Please don't raise your hands. Get a wave offering. Sometimes, as, as hard as it is, we realize as individuals, as moms and dads, that there are things that we have to learn on our own. I wish it weren't so, because oftentimes the things that we have to learn on our own are the things that we wish we didn't have to learn on our own after we've learned them. Think about that for a while. Oh, Lord, if I could go back and unlearn the things I learned on my own, if I would have listened first to you, Father, if I would have listened first to you, Oh, Holy Spirit, the word of God, if I would have taken in the wisdom of the counsel of my parents and the counsel of those that are godly and wise around me, if I would have just listened, but oftentimes we can't listen. Oftentimes we have to learn and a heavenly father, a good father says, okay, I'm going to trust what I've put in will be good for the day to come. Well, that doesn't make sense, Sean, because he went off and did everything that was wrong. Ah, but he woke up one day, didn't he? Sometimes God lets us learn the hard way. For those of us parents in the room that don't ever want our kids to ever experience anything bad, we're going to protect, we're going to keep them. And of course, I don't want anything bad to happen to my kids. I'm the same way in some senses. But unless we let them go, then it really won't be their life anyway, will it? It'll be your life. It'll be your controlled life that they live. And until they are able to learn it on themselves, then what they receive and give back to you, and in this story, to the Father in heaven, will not be authentic or real either. See, we don't get into heaven based on our parents' faith. We don't get into heaven based on our parents' works. Our parents don't, okay, Jesus, here's my kid. It's not what happens. Jesus says, let go and let me have your kid. Let me have the opportunity to know your son or daughter. Let let your kid experience me through the trials of life. Now, listen, I'm a protective parent. I'm not just out there. I'm not. We have high walls of protection in our house. For the betterment of our children. But I also know. That if I don't let them experience life and trust in God on their own, it'll never be their faith. It'll be mine. And we have to make that journey as parents. And the father here in this story, we have a very, very short explanation. It's just a period. The son says, give it to me, period. And and then the next line says, and the father gave it to him. The father knew that in giving him this freedom, is that what he gave him? The father gave this son freedom, didn't he? That son's not going to the city without any money. Doesn't know how to work in the city. He might have, but he would have come back at nightfall. But the father gave him freedom. Take your inheritance, even knowing that it was not going to be a good journey. Why? Because the end of that son's journey is better than the beginning of that journey. The father knew that this son needed to come to the end of himself 
so that he knew what an awesome life he had already been given. How many of you know that? How many of you know that the life that you have been given is way better than what you have acknowledged God for? Oftentimes my kids will say, I get it, Dad. Trying to show them something, try to explain them something. Dad, I get it. I can do it. We have to let them get it, really, for themselves. He was not controlling, but he was releasing because he wants us to choose him. Love is only love unless it's freely given and freely received. When it comes with strings attached, hey, I love you if you do this. The Father loves us in his request of us is to receive it. Receive it. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to be holy. You don't have to be a good worker and really religious. You don't have to go out and make 13 converts before you can get into my presence. You don't have to do anything. All I want you to do is recognize that I love you. That I've done it for you. That I've given my life for you. If you'll receive it, if you'll receive it, if you'll receive it, and oftentimes it's the receiving that gets us in trouble. We just can't receive it. The father was patient, wasn't he? He was not only releasing, he was also not only giving, but he was patient. He was waiting to love his son. But he lets his son first come to that most important place called humility and repentance. And when the son began to experience that, where did he experience that? He was finished with all of his money and all of a sudden all of his friends disappear. Everything that the world promised, all the emotions and the thrills and the acceptance and the comfort, all the things that he wanted from this new set of friends or this new experience faded when what he had to bring to the table disappeared. And all he was left with was the memory or the knowledge of what had been true and stable in his life, and he remembers his father. He remembers... And it comes to mind the knowledge of how good his father is. How good is our, is our father? Isaiah 30 says that the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Romans 2.4, do you not know that God's kindness, his kindness is what leads us to repentance. His kindness, his patience, his long-suffering, his not, not um, uh, counting the number of sins or, or the number of ways in which you've rebelled against them or have not received his love or turned away from him. He's not counting in the net. At number 87, he says, that's it. But he's patient with you. Oh, goodness. Sometimes I think about my brokenness and I think, God, why have you been so patient with me? He's been so patient with all of us. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Don't you love that picture? What does that picture tell you? That tells me that daddy is getting up morning, noon, and night, and he's sitting on that big porch. I have a picture of a big farmhouse. I don't know why. I just have a picture of a big farmhouse with a big porch and a rocking chair and a long road that goes to the end of the property and a big, big gate at the front of the pop property that says something. Like, a, this is a great home. Great place to live. Daddy lives here. Whatever you want to put on that sign. Big, there's a big old arch up there. And dad is sitting on the porch with his cup of coffee, because I drink a cup of coffee. And he's praying. And he's looking. And he's waiting. And he's wondering. When's the day? That my son is going to show up at that gate. And he's not just coming out with some kind of um, despairing hope. But every day I believe in this story, he's coming out with expectation. This could be the day. This could be the day. This could be the day. So that when he looks out that day and he sees his son. We're not going to get to that part of the story yet. That's too good. He is waiting with expectation and patience and kindness for you. Does he know as a seasoned father, does he know what's going on in the city? Does he have a good idea? I think he does. He probably even has his spies in the city. Probably has a few vendors that have come through the farm recently and said, Hey, have you heard about your son? He probably knows. And we know that in the context of talking about our Heavenly Father, He knows, doesn't He? Our Father knows every thought that you ever think, not, not alone every action that you do. He knows everything you're doing, thinking. He knows what you have done, and He knows what you're going to do. And He's still patient with you. Think about that. I used to have a thought in my mind that, that was um, I used to help me from being more sinful than I was in high school. And that was the thought that Jesus was riding. Co- he, was, he was my co- co- co-pilot in my car. You know? And every once, when I, every once in a while when I thought about doing something I shouldn't do, I thought, oh, Jesus is here. That helped me half the time. But the reality was whether it helped me or not, he was. He was there. He is here. He's with us. That ought to encourage you. You say, I don't, I don't want him with me. I feel ashamed. I, I, when, I, when you think about the things that you don't like, that you think or say or do, all of us would rather not God be there, right? But the fact that he is there and seeing it and he doesn't leave ought to encourage you. That he is like that father on the porch that is waiting for your heart to turn back to him. That's good news. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. The Father is patient. Let's put it this way because this describes the God's love. The Father is patient. He is kind. He does not envy nor boast, nor is he proud. 
He doesn't dishonor. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of your wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with truth. The Father always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres because the Father never fails. His love never fails. Our love fails. All of our endeavors to be like that at times fail, but the Father never fails, and he is eagerly waiting for you. Always true, always present, always faithful. Verse 20b, he's looking, his father, this day, with this cup of coffee in his hand, looking down that long road to that gate, sees the gate open. And when he sees the gate open, he stands up. This is my part of the story. You can just follow with me. You can, this is not in the scripture, but this is how I see it. He stands up. His heart starts to beat a little faster. He looks a little bit more intently. He strains his neck. And as he sees the way that that young man is walking, he knows that walk. He knows that gait. He knows that's his son. Now at this moment, we get a picture of what the father is like. Because what that father is waiting for is very important. Because we have different pictures in our minds of what the father should or would have done in this situation. Some of our fathers in our minds or in our reality sit back down and make that boy walk all the way up to the porch. And that father rocks in his rocking chair. And when the, father, when the boy walks up the steps, he puts his cup of coffee down, and he looks him in the eye, and then he looks away. Out of disgust. Out of shame. And he waits, and he doesn't say anything, and he makes that son come all the way, because he knows that if his son comes back, he's wanting something. And that son better be Really apologetic, and not any just, I'm sorry. He better do a good job of apologizing. And just maybe if he is fully aware of what he's done, maybe he might get a glance from me. He might get something from me. But he better prove to me that he understands what he's done. So the son gets up the steps. The father's head's turned to the side, and the son begins to speak. Ah! Father takes control. Make sure that the son knows now who's boss, who's in charge. The son's shaking. Everything that he thought possibly could go wrong is happening. He's already rehearsed his script. Father, just let me be a servant. Just let me let me come home, Dad. I don't have anything. Just give me food or something. Father's going to make him pay. Make sure he understands. That what he did was wrong. So he waits. Son falls on his knees, begging for some acknowledgement. And the father goes into his speech. 
We know those speeches, some of us. I've given some speeches. And then maybe the Father gives him a chance to prove that he's worthy of living on his farm, on his, in his ranch, on his kingdom. And he does exactly what the, man, the young man thought. He gives him a room over with the servants to prove whether or not he's good enough to be back with his father. I'm being dramatic, and I'm illustrating this point because if I am discerning as a pastor of 25 years, I know that within this room, a high percentage of you have that image of your Father in heaven. You're not worthy, as the Son felt about himself, to be in the Father's presence. And you know that if he is a good Father, this is what you tell yourself, if he's a good Father, he'll let me have it. Because I have blown it. If he's a good father, he'll be hard on me. If he's a good father, he'll make me work it off. If he's a good father, he'll make me pay. If he's a good father, I'll have a a probationary period of where I have to prove myself. And if I'm not good enough, he should cast me away. He should send me off because I'm not good enough for him. We have that tape playing in our minds. But that is not the father. Amen? Jay, stand up, please. Jay, stand up. I want you to stand right here. Yeah, over here. Because you talked back to me last week, Jay. I'm just kidding. Jay, stand where Dennis is, please. This, this, is, this is a story. You're, you're my illustration. What you just heard was not the story. The story is that I love more than you can imagine my son Jay. And when Jay walked through that door and I was in my rocker, I stood up. But not so that he could see the self-imposing, authoritative, exacting father that he needs to grovel back to. But when I saw Jay, I saw hope. I saw, hallelujah, I saw my son, yes, I saw my son, this is my son, and I wrapped my legs around him, because that's what I do, and I kissed him, and I hugged him, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, and I said, come on, come on, son, you're here, my son, this is my son, Jay. Me, my son, Jay. Shake her hand. This is my son, Jay. This is my son. He's back. He's back. He was an incredible sinner in the city. He spent all of my money. He did everything wrong, and he's back. I love him. Hey, 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 get up. Go get a calf. Kill it. Hey, 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 go get that robe. Get that ring. I love you, man. You're awesome. This is my son. This is my son. I named this guy. His name's Jay. I don't know why I named him Jay, but his name's Jay. Good. Uh, you are <laughs> I love my son. Okay, thank you. Thank you.
<laughs> Sorry. I have no idea what you said, but you can tell me later. This is our Father. This is your Father. Now you put your name in there. You put your name in there. You put the name that He has given you in that text. You put your life getting out of the pig pen. And listen, you can't get to the gate of your Father unless you know that you're in a pig pen. You can't do it. You cannot experience forgiveness if you don't need to be forgiven. You can't experience the love of God unless you know that you need the love of God. Ah, well, I'm all set. Thanks, Pastor. Give that love to somebody else who needs it. Pity on you. Pity on you. That you are so good and so perfect. You don't need a father. But we all need fathers. For those of you father sports fans out here, I'm just going to give you one more story. I think it's interesting, and then we'll finish while I catch my breath. <laughs> one of my favorite... <clears throat> One of my favorite sports writers is a guy by the name of Rick Riley. He used to write for Sports Illustrated. He's, he's an ESPN writer. He's, just a, he's a good writer. But he, there's an edge to him at times. There's times where I go, mm, you could have done it a little bit different or you could have been a lot nicer. He's not kind at times to his critique of how people respond, but usually it's his way of trying to point out what is good and bad. Sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't but he's retiring and so he wrote his last article now I want to, I want to, I want you to read this passage scripture I mean passage scripture I want you to listen to this part of his article <clears throat> this is how he starts off his article he said I am the son of a drunk a man who was much too concerned with where his next whiskey was coming from than where I was going he didn't discipline me he didn't advise me he didn't father me Hell, most of the time, he didn't even know where I was. And my trembling mother was much too terrified of him and his sloppy temper slamming home to worry about what I was doing. So when I got a regular byline in the town paper before my 21st birthday, I was as wild and unruly as the mop of hair on my head. I had a voice and a license to use it, but not one lesson in how to use it. I hurt people just to make a name for myself, just because I could. My first beat was the Colorado women's basketball team, and I came out slashing until one day a retired coach named Sox Walseth came up to me. His hair was white with matching caterpillar eyebrows, and he wore a cardigan. He put a hand on my shoulder, and he said, Son, you're not going to get very far writing articles like the one you did today. These people shouldn't have to read the cheap shots you're taking at them. You can do better than this. I looked right back at him, stuck out my bottom lip, and began to cry. I was so starved for a father 
that this man I hardly knew was suddenly thrown into, his job, into the job. I'm sure he was as confused about what was happening as I was, but he took me to his chest and he hugged me. As I sit here and write my last column as a sports writer, I see now how that moment changed my life. We need the Father to hug us today. And as embarrassing and as sloppy as that hug was for Jay, I don't think I exaggerated too much in regards to how our Father feels about us. And the reason I can say that is that that's how I feel about my children. And the Scripture says that He's so much better of a Father than I am. So if I have that kind of exhilarated love for my kids, how much more does He love you? Would you?